0: The American people fix to govern themselves to rule themselves to control I regard myself as a soldier, truly soldier of peace. And that's why I'm here tonight. I want to tell you my side of the case. Manifest History. Welcome to the very first episode of Manifest History. Today's topic is the Apache Wars with Mexico. Specifically, I focus on the region of Sonora, Mexico. I found this interesting because Sonora was looked at as the frontier to the central government in Mexico City. They didn't really care too much about these people. And when civil strife broke out in the Civil War in the early 1800s, they really didn't care about the people of Sonora, and the people of Sonora had to get creative on how to defend themselves against the apaches in this parallel apache war and civil war in mexico mexico had on and off conflicts with the apaches from their independence in 1821 well into the 1880s when the apaches gave themselves into the united states government but for the region of sonora the most intense fighting was roughly between 1830 and 1860. so that's the timeline we're focusing on today before we get started, I think it's good to give a brief history of first the Apaches and then Mexico. Because if someone's coming in here with no knowledge of either, which is a possibility, it's good to have a reference point and know what we're talking about. The Apaches were a group of Native American tribes in what is present-day Southwest United States, Arizona, New Mexico, There were several tribes, and for the most part, they all got along. But for our purposes today, we're just going to focus on two tribes the Chiricahua and the Mescaleros, because these were the warring tribes. These were the tribes that would do the raiding and attacking of Mexico. They also attacked everybody in the region. They would attack other non Apache tribes and attack United States settlers what have you. The Chiricahuas are famous for having the great war chief Geronimo in their tribe, who will be part of our story. They resided in southeast Arizona, western New Mexico region, and the Mescaleros were east of them all in New Mexico. For our purposes now, that's most of what you need to know for this story, but it is an interesting point to think about, why are the Apaches so famous in history? Why do we have military helicopters or software programs named after them, it's because they were so viciously violent. Raiding was part of their culture. They could be appeased if the government would, you know, give them supplies and food, but their life was hunting, gathering, and raiding to sustain themselves. And in their religion and their culture, they didn't really see a problem of killing a non-Apache, um, if it meant sustaining their life or what they had to do. So, this is why, in history, they became so famous. It's, it's very much like the Lakotas in the north who beat the central government in America in 1876 at the Battle of Little Bighorn, instantly one of the most famous tribes ever. They are more famous than the Apache. But the Apache also fought vigorously against the United States and Mexico and other other tribes in the region, and this is why we know so much about them today. There's there's many other tribes in the southwest that, of course, people know about them, but not as widespread as the Apaches. Before we move on to a brief history of Mexico, I wanted to touch on an issue that not only the Apaches, but all native tribes that had to deal with the United States government or the Mexican government or whoever it was in the Americas, When they signed treaties, what would happen is these governments would look at the natives as a whole. They would find a war chief and assume that he spoke for this whole region they were having an issue with. But the reality is all the tribes were independent of each other. So even if they got all the tribes in the region on board except two of them, to those two tribes, there's no treaty. So if they did something that, let's say, the United States government saw as a breaking of a treaty they would assume the Apaches broke the treaty, but they really didn't. It was just those two tribes that had nothing to do with the treaty, but the United States government doesn't understand that. So this was a constant problem for any tribe that had conflicts with these governments and was making treaties. And this would sow a lot of discord and and confusion and anger on both sides. In addition to that, the treaty proceedings themselves would oftentimes be very confusing and poorly translated. Of course, the languages were so different, and you know, there there would come up problems later. One one party would say, "I never agreed to that. I didn't say this." So this was a sad state of affairs, and why so many treaties were just broken down, usually very quickly between the natives and other governments in the regions. All right, Mexico. So. When I ventured out to learn history many years ago, my plan was to read an overview of every region in the world, every continent in the world, and then whatever I like, after that I can dig deeper into it. Now, before I did this, my assumption would have been maybe Asian history or European history, Rome. Something like this would be the most interesting and fascinating to me. But what I came away with was the history of Latin America was not only the most interesting, but I think the most important thing that ever happened in our world. Um, the collision of, of two cultures, two worlds coming together, and what that did to the whole world after that um, is very important. Now, obviously, we don't have time to do a whole history of Latin America, so I'll gloss over this to how we get to Mexico fairly quickly. But I think it's good to kind of know the general facts of how we get to Mexico. So, in 1492, Columbus um, lands in the Bahamas, discovers this new world. Now, there's a lot of controversy around that. A lot of people say he didn't find it first. There's other, other theories on it. But for our purposes today, let's just assume that's what happened. And the Spanish and the Portuguese end up conquering a lot of South and Central America. Now, interestingly, in all of the Americas, the... Two most advanced tribes, the uh, Incas and the Aztecs, were in this region. The Incas were in Peru, and the Aztecs were in present-day Mexico. Now, the Aztecs were famous for being the tribe that does human sacrifices. Um, They would sacrifice people for the sun god, and rip out their hearts and throw them down these uh, pyramid-like structures. This was the ritual they had, so... Very violent stuff. And the Spanish conquistadors, led by Hernan Cortes, had an epic war with the Aztecs and eventually pacified them. Um, I would highly suggest reading a book or listening to podcasts on this. It's a very wild story. But eventually the Aztecs are beat. Then Spain declares this area New Spain. So we have this situation of, of New Spain, this colonized land, for hundreds of years... And in the early to mid-19th century is when a lot of independence movements started happening in, in Latin America. There's a lot of tentacles on what exactly happened with Mexican independence, and of course, it should be a whole episode in itself. But a, a few things are, are similar to United States independence. The Creole people, meaning the people that were of Spanish origin but born in New Spain had gripes about not being treated equal to the people that were born in Old Spain. Very similar to George Washington, that was a big gripe of his that he couldn't rank up in the uh, British Army as high as someone that was born in Britain. He was born in the colony, so he had less rights. Similar to the thing how it starts in, in the Mexican Revolution. They wanted to keep it a racial hierarchy after they got their independence, but it ended up they needed the help of mixed-race people, so they had to, you know, make them on equal footing. And also, a big part of this was the French Revolution and Napoleon, who invaded a lot of countries after the French Revolution. He was the dictator that rose up from that disaster. Um, He invaded Spain, and it totally destabilized Spain and, of course, all their colonies. So this left a window for the revolution in Mexico, to be able to take place. And the war was from 1810 to 1821. There was a lot of different factions fighting, but in 1821, it finally gets solved and Mexico comes into existence. So by Mexican independence in 1821, of course, the Spanish had been dealing with the Apache threat for hundreds of years at this point. Uh, They had tried multiple things tried bloody warfare with them tried treaties but nothing really worked the apaches would attack and raid as they do and finally in 1767 they basically just decided a policy of appeasement is the best strategy they just started sharing them with gifts let them sleep around the presidios the spanish forts gave them food lodging whatever they needed really it was a very sweet deal for the apaches so they had this comfortable situation for over 50 years now. They, of course, were apprehensive when they saw this war going on and realized that this new government of Mexico is going to take over. They didn't know if it was going to be status quo, or are they going to have to go back to hunting and gathering and raiding because they're not being supported anymore. So they were quite apprehensive and waiting to see what happened. For the first almost 10 years, about 1821 to 1830, everything stayed fairly similar. There were small conflicts here and there, but for the most part, they had the same deal of appeasement, getting gifts, able to sleep around the forts, and what have you. But what happened is, in 1830, some political infighting in Mexico and Mexico City started really heating up. And as we said, the state of Sonora already was a place that the government didn't really care too much about. And when this political infighting broke out, less and less was done about the Apache problem in Sonora. And as the political infighting in Mexico went on, the plight of the people in Sonora got worse and worse, especially heading to 1832 when the famous Santa Ana tried to overthrow the centralist government and a civil war started in Mexico. Uh, At that point, they were pretty much on their own for the most part because there was a lot of other problems with the civil war going on. So, This is when the problem started really amping up, when the Civil War broke out. For the Apaches, by 1830, trust had broken down. They realized the Mexican government wasn't going to be able to sustain them anymore, and they were going to have to go back to their life of hunting, gathering, and raiding. And when this switch happened, it was very swift. The raiding was quickly very extreme, and the Mexican response was very extreme. So a lot of violence broke out very quickly. An Apache raid consisted of usually trying to get livestock and supplies from an individual's house, but oftentimes, not always, but it led to the murder of the man in the house and the stealing of the women and children. So pretty violent stuff, and this is how it went, and it got worse and worse in Sonora as the years went on. Dan Carlin of Hardcore History and his podcast Apache Tears made a, made a point that I think is very important to think about when you're thinking about the story. He was referring to white settlers i believe but it's the same difference for the mexican settlers they really looked at the apaches as these terrorists as we look at terrorists today these people that would come from the mountains in the north and just come down and raid you and and try to murder you and take your family away from you take all your goods everything you worked for in your life so from their perspective these were terrorist acts and of course There was a lot of rage on their side, and the rage built up on both sides because there would be a particular bad raid or attack, and there would be a particularly violent response from the Mexicans that would really infuriate the Apaches, so these atrocities just kept building and building, and the anger kept building and building. A good example of the anger on the Apache side can be found in the story of the war chief Geronimo. In 1858, Geronimo and many of the Apaches were on friendly terms with the Mexicans, it wasn't all blood and gore 24-7. There were times of peace and times of war. More times of war, of course, but there were times of peace. And this was one of those times. The, the Apaches were just on a standard mission to go trade with this Mexican town. So they loaded up their families, went south to, to make the deals. And when they were there, they left their, their families in camp and went to the town and traded with the Mexicans. While that was going on, a group of Mexicans from a different town who had vengeances against Apaches raided their camp and murdered Geronimo's mother, his wife, and his three children. Just a horrible atrocity. A massacre. It changed Geronimo forever, as it would any human being. At that point, his whole life was dedicated to killing Mexicans and going on the war path with Mexico. He eventually actually got his revenge against the particular people that killed his family, which is a great story. But beyond that, he was always on the warpath with Mexico. It got so bad, his tribe would often have to step in and rein him in and say, we can't go on this mission or that mission. It's just a suicide mission. In the early 1830s, 5,000 people had died in Sonora. That might not sound like a lot, but considering the whole population of Sonora was only 50,000, 5,000 is a pretty huge number. It's 10% of their population. It's almost unimaginable to think 10% of your population can die in just a short few years. Not from a cataclysmic weather event or some disease spreading through the villages and towns, but violent kinetic warfare and one-by-one raids on individual homes. Throughout this heavy warring period with Sonora, there were treaties tried here and there. But eventually, Sonora gave up on the idea of treaties with Apaches altogether. There was one incident where the whole country of Mexico wanted to make this treaty with the Apaches, but Sonora refused, and they ended up actually just going ahead with the treaty and leaving Sonora out of it. Interestingly, kind of like a reverse roles here, like the Apaches would always have some tribes that would sign the treaties and some that wouldn't. Kind of the similar thing here in Sonora. And they were soon vindicated because the apaches broke the treaty almost instantly so the treaties for reasons we've already described would always sadly break down and that would just make things worse really and cause more anger and more strife so what are the people of sonora to do they have very little help from the central government in mexico because of the civil war and them not caring about this frontier area anyway so they had to get creative and figure out how are we going to solve this problem. So what they did first was a basic just accepting donations on behalf of the plight of, of the Sonoran people. This sadly fell flat pretty quickly. They couldn't raise enough money to do anything or make any change, really. After that failed, their next tactic was actually one of my favorites of the story all the legislators in sonora decided to lower their salaries by 10 or 20% and give this money back to anyone willing to sign up to fight the apaches. And in addition to that, they had a new policy where the soldiers could keep any loot they found. So in the old days, if they found a cache of loot, say buffalo hides or whatever valuable things the apaches had, they would have to give it to the mexican government and report that. But now they said we're going to give you more money, and you can keep all the loot. And this actually worked. The idea was to have the leaders really garner morale in the troops. Say, look, we're, we're gallantly fighting this Apache evil, Apache threat. We're willing to give our money to you, lower our salaries to stop this threat and fight this war. We are with you. And it actually worked. That did garner moral support and incentive to fight, but still, it just wasn't enough. The, the threats were too big. So now the Mexicans at their wits' end. This all leads to putting a bounty on Apache scalps. The problem had gotten so bad, this is their last resort. They felt like this is the only thing they could do. It was 100 pesos for a man, 50 pesos for a woman, and 25 pesos for a child of any sex. That's how vicious the anger was. The Mexicans said, we'll pay you 25 pesos if you murder an Apache child and give us their scalps. That is pretty hardcore. So what this all led to, grossly, was people becoming professional scalp hunters. A lot of Americans, um, a lot of Mexicans, probably even other tribes in the area, people became professional scalp hunters because it was a, a quick way to make a buck, kill an Apache, doesn't matter who it is kill them make some money and obviously this is horrible and totally immoral but it's like a lot of things when finances get involved you'll rationalize why something's okay and moral you know the apaches are horrible we hate them these are terrorists we're killing them it's similar to the buffalo hunting that went on the the americans that just slaughtered buffalo over and over just thousands and thousands of buffalo under their belt Um, To send the hides back east, one, and to lessen the food supply of the Native Americans so they could beat them. They knew this was wrong. Had to have known just sitting there murdering buffalo all day until almost they became extinct was wrong. But you can make up some moral reason why you're doing this when money's on the line. Similar to slavery, you know, the whole south of the United States, their whole economy was based on slavery. So they really justified their actions, they said, the scripture says this is correct, the slaves actually like it, whatever it was, they really justified that. And this happened with the scalp hunting, and it's, it's very sad and sick. But this was the outcome of the vicious war and the vicious vitriolic anger that the Mexicans had towards the Apaches. One of the most horrific uh, scalp hunting stories was a Kentucky scalp hunter named James Johnson, who saw a group of 20 Apaches men, women, and children... They were just trading with another tribe, going about their day. They didn't see him, and he loaded a cannon with uh, shards of glass, nails, metal, anything he could find, and just blasted into them uh, unknowingly and killed them all and profited on their scalps. Um, this, of course, enraged the Apaches. It, it wasn't a massacre, and you can definitely understand that. They went on a, on a killing spree. During this time, there was a, there was a town in in Sonora called Arispe that lost almost all of its population, like 80% of its population. They went from 7,000 down to 1,500. So this is how vicious the anger was, and the rating just really amped up after that. So how does this all end? So what happened was around the mid-19th century, 1850s, 1860s, the Apaches started having a bigger problem with the white people that were coming from the east and the north, Right? So now they had an enemy coming from the east and the north in the white people. They had an enemy in the south, the Mexicans. And then the tribes that surrounded them also hated them. So they were just vastly outnumbered. Now they fought on, as we said, they surrendered in 1886 to the Americans. That's when they abdicated and were moved eastward. But starting around 1850, 1860... It slowed down a lot in Mexico because they had to deal with the white people more. So when they abdicated, they were shipped eastward to Florida and Alabama uh, in prison camps before eventually going to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, where there's still Apaches there today, um, their final reservation there. But the Florida and Alabama trip was very hard on them. They were stuffed in these trains and when they got there, it was very humid. They were not used to this humidity of Alabama and Florida. They're from eastern Arizona. Nice weather, real, real dry. A lot of them died and got sick. They couldn't handle it. Their bodies couldn't handle it. But that's what happened. So the Mexicans kind of got lucky, really, in a sense, that the Americans became a bigger problem for them. So basically it fizzled out. There were still attacks all the way up until they... They went to the reservation or the prison camps, but it really fizzled out, especially in Sonora after the 1850s, 1860s. And then finally in 1886, the problem was taken care of by the Americans. So that's our story there for the the involvement of the Mexicans and the Apaches. I thought this was a, a cool story because, you know, as an American person, I've heard about the Apaches a lot, of course, but it's always in in the context of of cowboys and Indians or or Americans and Apaches or whatever whatever that is. And I never really heard too much about the Mexicans, but when you dig into the history of the Apaches, their vitriol and anger was directed mostly at the Mexicans. This is who they hated the most, really, and went on the warpath with the most. Of course, there was a lot of hatred for Americans, especially when they were moved eastward to prison camps, I'm sure, but most of their fighting years and most of the vitriolic anger and hate was directed toward the Mexicans. Also it was interesting to to learn about Sonora as being the frontier, you know, as again as an American person, you don't realize there's frontiers in other countries. Like we think of our frontier as being Illinois and moving you know, moving west to the to the Midwest or Arizona. But, of course, every country, like Russia, Siberia, you know, in Mexico, Sonora is their their border town and their frontier. And it was interesting them just having no help and how they had to solve this problem and and the whole violent struggle they went through. So before I go, I'd like to reference some reading and listening materials that, well, maybe not all directly related to every fact in the story, relate to it and gave me a better understanding of the situation. First and foremost, Geronimo's biography. I read it twice. It's actually a fairly short read and very informative. It tells you all about the Apache way of life, what they believe in, their origin story, and of course the saga of Geronimo's life is almost stranger than fiction. It's a it's a very sad, violent um, story, and it's just hard to imagine someone living that life. Another great book was called Inja, an Apache Odyssey, by the author Eve Ball. Eve Ball was a retired teacher who in 1950 was living in New Mexico, and she made friends with some of the Apaches who were actually still living, and they were children when their fathers were the last war chiefs during the 1880s when they abdicated to the Americans. She basically got all the stories from the Apaches' mouths themselves. Again, it talks a little bit about their origin story and their life, but a lot of this book focused on their their move eastward to the prison camps and then to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and their forced assimilation that really didn't go well. Another very sad book, but very enlightening on the Apache struggle and what they had to deal with, especially after they surrendered to the Americans. These two books are very important, too, because... They're written from the Apaches' words. It's very rare to find that. The Apaches didn't write books, right? Geronimo basically had to dictate his story to someone, and Eat Ball had to write down the words of the Apaches, what they told to her. They did not write books. Um, So there's very few books that are from the Apache side. There's tons of books written about the Apaches from the Americans or the Mexicans, but very few actually coming from the mouth of the Apaches. So that's why I think these two books are very important. For podcasts, there's two in particular I really like. Um, The first one is Daniele Bellelli History on Fire, a four-part series on the conquest of Mexico. It's called, I believe it's just called The Conquest of Mexico, The People of the Sun, but a really, really amazing podcast. Maybe one of my favorite podcasts ever. It is long, and as I said, a four-part series, but it goes through Hernan Cortez and the takeover of the Aztecs and how that all happened. And would really, really suggest that. The other one is uh, Dan Carlin, Hardcore History. The name of the podcast was Apache Tears. I referenced it in the episode here. Dan Carlin is a master of getting the listener to empathize with his subject. This podcast really set the mood for how the Apaches lived and what their day-to-day processes were, and I would highly suggest it. So that is the end of the show. I really hope you learned something and I really appreciate you listening. Thank you so much and I'll see you next time.